What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode number 23 of Through the Veil. I'm your host, Alex Nelson, and on today's episode, I have my friend Hallie, who is the host of the Thought Room podcast, as well as the founder of Lunar Wild. This episode was super, super good. I had an amazing conversation with her, and this was the longest podcast to date, you may notice. So I hope you enjoy this one. We go super deep into plant medicine. We talk a bunch about Hallie's path, both as an entrepreneur and as an individual. And we talk a ton about different strategies for sitting and standing in your truth and being the best version of yourself you can be. So I hope you enjoy this one. If you do, as always, a five-star review on iTunes or leaving a written review is super, super appreciated. And before we jump into the podcast, I wanted to remind you guys that I have a website, www.throughtheveil.co, and on that website you can find all of my personal coaching offerings, as well as my new program, Vivid Visualizations, which will help you level up your visualization and manifestation game. Without any further ado, let's jump right into the episode. Awesome. Well, Hallie, welcome to the podcast and thank you for being on. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So I thought it'd be fun to just start out. If you can give the audience listening a little background about you, who you are, some of what you do, and take as long as you want for this part, but you know, unpack a little bit of how you got to where you are today, some of the high points and low points potentially of your life leading into this. Wow, where to begin? Um, <clears throat> so who I am currently, uh, after many iterations, is uh, I'm the host of a podcast called The Thought Room. I am a coach and I'm a writer. And some of my past careers have included, oh, let me see, uh, a nanny for celebrities, celebrity children, um, an elementary teacher. Um, my goodness, I have a background in psychology as well, a degree in developmental psychology and a degree in education. And this question is always such a funny one for me because it's like, I was telling you before this interview, like I, I can't even begin to describe my life journey succinctly. It's something I'm actually working on writing a book on right now. And as I'm doing this interview with you, I'm sitting next to a suitcase <laughs> full of about 40 to 50 diaries. Mm. And I've been keeping these diaries. I think the earliest dated one in this pile is from 1997. So I would have been six or seven years old, depending on what time month of the year it was. And so I've been writing down my inner life since then. Every single year, trauma after trauma, uh, revelation after revelation, it's, it's in these pages. So, um, I was thinking about this this week, actually. I was, I was standing in the kitchen with my dad feeling a little bit of sadness over, 
I want to say the lack of inspiration I feel right now. It ebbs and flows, but you know, during this time, a lot of people have this mentality of like, now's the time to capitalize and to create. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling the pressure of that. I was feeling the guilt of that because normally what I do is create anyway. That's kind of my lifestyle. And there was this strange illusion arising in me that it's like, oh, well now everybody else has the chance to create. So I'm the one falling behind. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was like this voice of that. And what I kept coming back to was just like right now, my work is taking this time to integrate my life, mm. my life up until this point, you know, I'm turning 30 this year and looking back, even say taking the year 2019, the amount of intense life events that occurred in simply 12 months are probably more than some have, you know, in the first 20 or 30 years of their lives. And that's just been the rate at which my life has been occurring. And mm -hmm. so though I felt this kind of guilt over not being able to produce more, I realized that's just a, a bigger symptom of the problem of what's going on right now. It's yeah. like this feeling that we don't deserve to slow down, to be in the receiving, to be in the creation, to be in the feminine energy. So that's what I'm working with right now. And I said, I said to my dad, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit sad. And this is not the first time in my life I've had dances with, you know, depression or anxiety. And he was like, well, well, why do you, why do you think that is? And I just said that I feel like so many things have happened, beautiful, challenging things. And I just haven't had enough time to understand their, their lessons and their gifts mm -hmm. yet. So um, that's what I'm doing right now, currently in my life. I mean, I could recount to you all the events who, that have, you know, shaped me to be who I am. And just to like list a few, it's, you know, my parents were in a three-year custody battle over me and my siblings when I was like nine, 10, 11 um super traumatic our family kind of we went from living on a, a big beautiful dream property in upstate new york to kind of losing mostly everything to bankruptcy and legal fees over the course of that time then i was up, uprooted i was moved to another country i was moved to canada i restarted my life i integrated in the public school for the first time i'd been going to private schools and homeschooling so that was just a huge change and, um, you know, continued to live my life in Canada, did both my degrees there and moved out to Edmonton, Alberta after graduating in Canada. And uh, a few years later, my stepbrother um, passed away of a, um, after a long struggle with, with drugs. And, um, you know, he was in his early 20s. So that was definitely something that set my life on a different course. A few months later, I ended up leaving my partner, leaving my job, leaving everything, booking a one-way flight to New York City with no plan. Why New York? I don't know. My soul told me to go there and I listened. And if anyone's ever been so broken down where they don't know what's left or right or up or down, they know that like 
you just at that point it's the most beautiful thing because you stop thinking and you just follow feeling mm -hmm. and it's like when you get to that rock bottom you're like new york i don't know why let's just go there's nothing else to do and that's kind of uh, where i was at and um you know like i said ha had a couple of different celebrity clients there working in a very strange and wonderful world of like what that is to be around um, you know, the A-list and the elite and kind of navigating in those circles and seeing how the money works and, and all of that. And uh, year, two years into doing all that, I was diagnosed with Lyme's disease. So that became my next sort of battle is mm -hmm. depression and chronic illness and inflammation and brain fog and anxiety to the point of you know not being able to get out of bed and um then off that it was just things curtailing off of each other where you know when you get into a certain negativity mindset everything just cascades so i also got so down depressed you know sick in so many ways um my menstrual period stopped altogether for over two years. So they were, you know, testing my blood and my blood had the hormone levels, the estrogen levels of like a woman going through menopause. So if you have the Lyme's disease and the, the inflammation in your whole body, and then you layer on, you know, none of your hormones are producing the, the vital right. sexual chemicals that like give people their fire. Right. Um, uh, that was just missing from my life. So, so I just kind of became this, this shell of a person in, in many ways. And then, you know, my dad was, um, so this is all during the same year. I think this was beginning of 2017 now. My dad was in a snowboarding accident on, um, on the hill and he got a concussion, but we thought he was fine. And then two weeks later he was in band practice and his face started to droop and he couldn't mm -hmm. speak. And he was rushed to the hospital with a brain bleed and they had to take him into like emergency surgery. And it was at that point, I was still battling with the Lyme's disease. I was still getting up at 4:45 or 5 AM to take an hour and a half train in Manhattan to get to my job every morning for this nannying working crazy hours and um depressed and and sick and i think i i had the line but i wasn't really talking to anyone at work about it because it was a very competitive job i didn't you know there was the pressure i didn't want to seem like i couldn't keep up so managing all this and then my dad's accident happened and i just left everything to come try and make it home for his surgery and mm. it was like another moment of reckoning i suppose because i thought like what am i doing in my life what am i even doing who am i spending time with how do i feel inside and being on the train not knowing if because his surgery had gotten pushed forward and i didn't leave, i didn't leave work you know they said they're like oh well you have the weekend off, you have one more shift. And I was just like, at that point, so bought in, you know, that mm -hmm. I didn't say like, no, fuck that. I'm going to see my dad. I was like, right. oh yeah, you're right. I'll finish my shift and then I'll go. And then 
my dad's surgery got pushed forward. So I didn't know if I was ever going to see him in the same state, Mm. you know, that I knew him as again. So I was grieving that and sitting on this, this train from New York city to Buffalo, just like pondering my existence and how I felt. And, Oh, I looked bad. I felt bad. Um, and so ultimately I stayed with my dad to take care of him. And I've told this story before, but the funny thing is it was only in pausing on behalf of somebody else that I really realized how sick I was, you know, Mm -hmm. how broken I was because I wouldn't give myself like many of us don't, I wouldn't give myself the permission to do that for myself. Sounds ridiculous when we say it out loud, but unconsciously it happens so often. And so finally, you know, my, my dad, after about a month, his, his surgery was successful. He fully recovered. He got off of all his medications very fast. Miraculous. All he had was this giant scar, but, um, otherwise all was well. So then suddenly I was in this position of being like, well, wait, what, it, what is my purpose now? What's going I'm lost on? again. <laughs> I'm lost again. And uh, like I, I had sort of identified with the role of caretaker of him. And that made me feel good and useful. And now that he didn't really need that anymore, I was left in the position of, okay, well, what do I do again? So this is May 2017 at this point, and I called a friend, and I was just like, I don't know what to do. Like, I know that there's something inside me that needs to move. I know that there's a part of me that wants to awaken and I'm tired, I'm burnt out, I feel terrible, and I don't know how to reset the clock. Mm. And my friend, because I remember saying to her, I don't want to go on like a yoga retreat. I don't want someone to hand me green smoothies and, you know, fan me with palm fronds. Like, I want to do the work. I want (laughs) to really do the work. And she said, oh, you need a vision quest. And I was like, Yes. That's good. <laughs> but what's a vision quest, you know? I, I didn't I didn't know, but it was one of those moments where you hear the thing and the thing gives mm-hmm. you shivers. And so I was like, all right, yeah, tell me more about this vision quest. She said, you know, it's a sacred rite of passage um, held in a lot of Aboriginal communities. Um, and she said that her friend had went on one through a particular organization. She could send me the information and that people were doing this as a reclamation of themselves. Mm. People were giving themselves rights, passage passages at all ages. And I, I was like, that sounds great. Let me find out when the next one is long story short. I think it was like two weeks later. I had like all the gear. I was on my way to uh, Death Valley in California with a group of, I think, four or five other women. And it was a 10-day journey. We would have three of those days completely solo, fasting, Mm -hmm. no tent, 
just a tarp and a rope, no fire, because we were to be really, really, really remote in a national park, um, sort of like, you know, high desert altitude um, <clears throat> in the middle of May. It actually ended up hailing and like all of these crazy things, but um, I had never done anything like that before. I had pretty much just been camping in more of like a glamping right. sort of way or like with my parents and for the first time I went to a camping store and I was like buying the pocket knife and I was getting the right gear and all of the safety need stuff. bear and, spray? Mm, okay. <laughs> I guess I'll get it also. <laughs> it kind of terrifies you when you're preparing for something like that because you're mm. like wow what if what if I get a snake bite or what if there's a mountain lion and I'm there alone or, you know, for me as a young woman, it was actually like stranger danger. Mm -hmm. That was like probably the scariest idea for me is if I have a light on at night and I'm all by myself and somebody sees that. Um, isn't that funny to be, I, I truly can say I was more afraid of human beings than the wildlife. Um, I actually did wake up one morning and there were mountain lion tracks like mm. right all around where my tarp was, I guess, lashed over a, a rock, which I had made into my shelter. Um, but yeah, so I went on this vision quest uh, in 2017. Really, I mean, we could we could go into more stories of that, but it was just three days there on the mountain by myself, and that was the first time I had ever gone three days without uttering a word to anybody. I think most people haven't gone that long doing that, unless they've done like Vipassana or something. So, a lot happens when you give your self that much spaciousness. And actually right now we have a beautiful opportunity to do that. We're all on our own little vision quests. And in the desert, I very much embraced a playfulness where I started to form these, I kind of felt like Tom Hanks and Castaway. Mm -hmm. You know, he's like, he draws, draws the face on the, yeah, volleyball makes Wilson. It was like I started to create these friendships with the nature around me. And I named certain rocks. I had this one rock that looked a lot like kind of like pride rock from the Lion King. And that was my yoga rock. And I would just go and stretch on the edge of this rock as the sun would come up out over the mountains. And I'd see the clouds and... Um, just all the trees and it was just magnificent. And so that was my yoga rock. I had a sunbathing rock. I had a, a ritual rock where I went every day and I kind of held different sort of ceremonies with me. Everybody asked me this, so I'll just say it when, you know, they're like, oh, did you have psychedelics on this? Um, no, I didn't. This was just purely fasting, purely getting in touch with um, myself and my own energy, just unassisted. So I think it's super underrated. Super underrated, and I'll tell you, at that point in my life, I, I don't think I'd ever tried psychedelics. So that's only a matter of a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess compared to some, I'm late to the game in this, but late to the game, I'm so grateful because I know that my consciousness 
uh, was ready at the time that it was ready to engage with these tools. And I think any earlier, and I would not have been able to, to kind of hold that. So yeah, the vision quest was just completely substance free. I just had a little bit of water, basically as much as we could carry up there, a couple gallons and that was it. And, um, so, you know, left that experience kind of hoping I would have some sort of big epiphany breakthrough, wouldn't be depressed anymore, all this stuff. It's not exactly what happened. Um, that's not how the journey generally works. And, uh, there were many, many, many more bumps in the road that could fill books, but I ended up creating a company out of that experience based on, on sacred rite of passages, and it's called Lunar Wild, and we make first period gift boxes to celebrate young women and to help every girl have a better period mm -hmm. and uh, feel the connective experience that is becoming part of the sisterhood of women. And so, yeah, that was birthed in 2017 and then had a couple more rock bottoms with depression, definitely, which I've talked about on my podcast and other people's podcasts and then met all of you guys. Um, I guess it was last year. So 2019 mm -hmm. joined the fit for service program put on by Aubrey Marcus and I remember that January and February of last year, I was in a place so dark <laughs> and sad. And I was hustling so hard with my company, bootstrapping it, just paying for everything out of my own pocket, trying not to borrow money, but I had nothing and I'm living in New York City and I'm packing orders for my company out of my car. Mm -hmm. I'm just like trying to save money on rent. I'm letting friends stay with me. And, you know, I at, at times was staying at other friends. I remember staying at people's houses while they were on vacation. I think I moved eight times in eight weeks at one point. And... I remember just feeling so destabilized, swirling around in the busyness that is the energy of New York City. I was staying at this one set of friends' house and then they were coming back from Europe. So I was packing up all my stuff and putting it back into my car for the umpteenth time. And I remember getting into my car on their street in Brooklyn, sitting, putting the keys in the ignition and then just being like, I don't know where I'm driving to right now. Mm. Like I don't have a place to stay tonight. And just the hollowing emptiness of, of that. It's like, how can I be busting my ass so hard to try and do something great for the world? And it's like, where is mine? You know, that kind of mindset mm -hmm. that's really easy to fall into. And this was just maybe a week or two before I met all of you in Austin and the, the friendships, the relationships that I've created in this program have absolutely changed my life and set me on a different trajectory. One of those such connections would be our mutual friend, Dan Cleland, who is the owner of Soltara Healing Center, who 
you know, extended to our entire group when we first met this invitation to explore plant medicine, namely ayahuasca in the retreat center that he was opening, Soltara. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up taking up that invitation and last May I went to Soltara as a guest and had my first experience sitting with ayahuasca. And the path since then has been wild, wonderful, beautiful, unexpected. The, the idea for the Thought Room podcast was something that was essentially, um, I found it within myself during those, those ceremonies mm. at Svoltara. And I, I realized that this was something I was meant to be doing. It didn't make a lot of sense at the time. I was like, oh, great, another thing that's not going to make me money. Sweet. Good idea, Hal. Great. Perfect. Um, yeah, great. Just what I was looking for. Time, um, effort, no payout. <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, that, that was all fear and, and kind of the illusion that's easy to get stuck in. And I just kind of started following that thread. And the podcast has, you know, it's taken off faster than I ever could have imagined. Soltara offered me the opportunity to return there this time as a member of their team. And so I um, was volunteering and, and helping with their social media and launching my podcast all of this winter. So um, November, December, January, I spent at Soltara. And yeah, and, and I got to have lots of plant medicine experiences there with ayahuasca still very much integrating the immensity of the lessons that I learned there and where I'm headed next in life after all that I've seen. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then this really interesting time happened just like a few short weeks uh, after me leaving Costa Rica. So the timing of, of this and kind of my re-entry into the air quotes normal world um, has felt very particularly strange coming out of such a long stint of, of being in the jungle and working with that medicine. Mm, absolutely. There's a, a metaphor that kept popping into my mind as you're talking about your journey, which I think is a really, there's so many different good parts to dig into there that I think are useful for people, but I actually, I really liked the way that you laid the entirety of it out because it kind of shows I think you're someone that I look at at least, and I'm sure other do, others do as well. It's like, oh man, Hallie's killing it. Like she's doing awesome shit nonstop. And I think in the past, something I've done personally is I, it, it almost dehumanizes the person to where I see them as if they're like an idol in terms of just like this golden statue of perfection that nothing goes wrong for them, which is literally never the case. <laughs> But yeah. what I like about you laying out that whole story is sort of like getting to see all the peaks and valleys and the metaphor that popped into mind was one of, <clears throat> that I've ran into in my own life as well, which is we often spend a large portion of our life before we become conscious planting a garden full of weeds. Mm -hmm. And we take, they kind of like, the root structure of the weeds kind of holds the ground together barely, but you're not yielding anything. You're not getting anything that's actually nourishing for you as you plant this garden. One day you wake up 
and like with new eyes. And I think this was when your dad had to go in for surgery for you. You wake up, you have new eyes, you look out at the garden, you're like, I have a garden full of fucking weeds right now that I have been killing myself just planting more weeds day after day, more things I don't actually want to harvest. Now, this is where I think people get stuck often and where I honor you for taking the courageous leap is that it's a really painful process to realize that it's not like you realize that and everything's good. It's, oh, I have to go pluck every weed out of that garden now before I can even plant anything else. And it's such a painful process sometimes. It's like, I have to tear up the foundation of who I am because it was poured on bad, bad foundation and I have to rebuild this. Oh no, what if, how long is that going to take? So it's interesting to see now as you've perhaps taken the first year or two on that journey of like replanting to see some of the fruits of your labor start to come up and starts to nourish a little bit more because you're like, okay, I'm doing things I care about now. <laughs> It's weird. It's great. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. And I don't know, I don't know if the journey ever really gets, well, I, I, I will say it does get easier, but in a, in a way that people maybe are not expecting. Mm. And I, I'm sure you understand this. It's like the challenge is just change. And it's funny to hear you reflect back to me the work and things that I'm putting out into the world and what I'm trying to do because I was laughing. I always be like, that's so funny. Alex is telling me I'm killing it. Because like oftentimes, even with all the work that I've done, I get up, I look in the mirror and I'm like, you are not killing it. (laughs) Nothing about your face is killing it this morning. But um you know, it's, it's just not true. Um, but it's, yeah, I think the challenges just change. And for me, the challenges lately are, I think, navigating a new sensitivity that I have to the world after diving that deeply into my own illusions that I created, you know, like we've been talking about the the stories that I spun about myself to try and make a personality. Um, I, I watched those all be absolutely flame thrown mm-hmm. in often violent ways during these ceremonies. And I just had to be like, no, that's my personality. Oh my God. God, I created this. You're telling me I'm not the business owner. I'm not my job. I'm. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) And then every little thing I would attach to, I'd be like, well, but I'm this. And it'd be like, "Mm -mm." mm-mm. I'd be like, but I'm this, right? Mm Mm-mm. But I act like this. But why do you do that? And I'd be like, oh, my God. It's all. It's all of my creation. And um, great. Okay. So I walk away from that experience being like, I can create my own reality. And some people out there are listening to this and they go, that's wacky. That's fine. You don't have to believe it. Maybe someday when you have a personal experience of embodying that, it'll make sense for you. Maybe it never will. And that's, you know, your prerogative. But for me, I have this piece now. I walk forth in my life knowing that I can create 
my own existence and then what it's kind of like yeah well now when i'm having a bad day i don't want to say a bad day because it's just learning days and challenging days but like yesterday for example was a really really tricky one i was just super emotional i knew my moon was coming so that that probably mm -hmm. you know was playing into it but I'm telling you, Alex, like every tool that I have, I tried to use it yesterday to calm myself down. And my breathing just felt really tight. I couldn't breathe into my belly and that was frustrating me. I wasn't feeling hungry. My belly was feeling full. I had been fasting for over a day and I was getting no relief and I still wasn't hungry. Mm. And I tried, you know, going outside, getting my feet on the ground. I tried drinking tea. I tried relaxing. I tried stretching. I tried not stretching. I just tried napping. I tried reading. That was too much. It was too stimulating. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I tried taking a hot bath and then I tried taking a cold shower and it was just like I was grasping and none of it was working. And, mm -hmm. and and I think that's important for people to hear because we get on here, we share our truths. And I think a lot of times people who are in this, in the spotlight or in have a podcast platform or something of that nature, we're always just talking about highlight reel, the good, the highlight reel. And I want to tell people that, this is the juiciest part. I'm not going to say it's the most pleasant part, but there's, there's a part of me inside that's watching all this happen that also remembers the other times I felt like I could not take one more second mm -hmm. of a feeling and knowing that somehow just when I felt like I was going to, hit the ceiling, the ceiling moved and it got higher. Mm. And I think it's important to allow ourselves to simultaneously be experiencing the truth of those, both of those things at once. Like I feel like I can't take another moment of this. And also I know the truth is that I am infinitely powerful. Mm -hmm. And those can both sit together and just kind of hold hands and, you can have a nice experience with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it, like a reframe that I gave myself a while back, and this is through psilocybin ceremonies, but it applies broadly. The most information dense packets I can download into my head are difficult experiences. Mm. Like when everything's going good, perfect even, I'm not really learning much. I'm just enjoying. Like I'm, I'm reaping the fruits of my labor when things fucking suck when i'm in pain when i'm going through a fucking difficult painful trip i come out the other side of those with all of these new understandings all of these new tools all of this better more comprehensive picture of who i am in response to these difficulties so it helps me that even in the moment, if I'm sitting with the feelings and I'm like, this fucking sucks right now, I'm not doing good. I think we build up more reference points as we go on of previously it sucked and that 
ended up being a transformative experience in the end. So mm. even though I can allow this to suck right now, some part of me now knows this is going somewhere. And that helps a lot for me, at least. Totally. Absolutely. So I want to key in on one thing you said that I think is, I always like to take inaccessible or things that people may have difficulty accessing and break them down in a way that perhaps they can think of it. And this is the way I break down you creating your own reality. Mm. So if you hear that, like you create your own reality, people are sometimes resistant to that, but I give it as simply as this. We've all had a friend who is a very angry person and maybe they get into fights all the time. And like from the outside observer perspective, you can see that because they're so angry, they treat everyone in such a way that fights come to them. That's a person who is creating their reality day in, day out, and they have a story they're telling themselves, like, God, everyone's just out to get me, the world's terrible, people are so angry. They've created that reality. Now, it logically follows that you could do the same thing on the positive end of the spectrum. If you spin yourself a story that is a more positive outlook, then all of a sudden you create these reactions. Because look, if you if you deal with that annoying person on the subway or the train, in the kindest, most loving way you possibly can, chances are a different reaction happens than if you are like, fuck you, bro, let's go. So even in just that micro moment, we, we choose. And through doing this inner work, we gain a better ability to choose because we have more. I think someone said this, not me, but like meditation gives us space in between the input and what we choose to put as an output. If we don't have that space, it can be just auto response. Yeah. So I think, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And I think that what you're unlocking here is that when we are reacting to people, who may be like you were saying, that person on the train that's maybe being a bit of a jerk. We're not reacting because we're not reacting, say, with kindness because we want to be seen as the one who is kind, right? We are reacting out of kindness because we know, whether you believe in karma or whatever it is, you know as a person, when you walk away from that interaction and you've acted with kindness versus giving them a passive aggressive look or whatever, there's some little piece in you that feels better. And that is honestly all anyone needs in order to take some really big steps in the path of their consciousness is to just listen to that little inner compass that talks to you before, during, and after every single interaction. And if, if nobody else was watching, just you in your own little private world, like, would you give yourself a gold star? Yes or no. And like, it's not about hell. It's not about ending up anywhere, heaven or hell or whatever. It's like, how do you feel about the mirror of yourself? Just, just having to be accountable to your actions 
that should be your barometer for how you go out and conduct yourself in the world. And if you start doing that, I think that you will find what you are met with is absolutely miraculous. Yeah, absolutely. It's been my experience as well that the more you can treat people with kindness, and I don't, I don't, I like to parse these two terms out here because I think this is another sticky point for people. They think kindness and they think being nice. And I think being nice is a separate thing. Being nice is I'm trying to give you nicety in exchange for being liked, being enough, being whatever. Being kind is, I'll put it this way. Sometimes being kind is like a close friend says to you like, Hey, Hallie, I'm really worried about you right now. You know, you keep, you've been telling me every week that you want to start that yoga practice and you haven't done it. That friend is maybe being micro mean to you, but kind in the scale of things. It's truth, right? Right, exactly. Their being is truth. And, and, you know, not to interject because I want to hear you say this, but it is not our responsibility to receive the truth on the other end. It is just our responsibility to be the messenger of that truth in a way that we know is true and is in alignment with that inner being that we were just talking about. Because you can deliver a truth in a passive aggressive way Mm -hmm. or in an unkind way, you know, well, this is just the hard truth or the plain truth or the straight truth. Check yourself because I believe there's always a way to deliver the truth in a way that the person on the receiving end has a higher likelihood of being able to absorb that energy. So all that we're in control of is how we manage the delivery and the communication of that truth. Exactly. Yeah, that's perfectly summarized. And it's such a it's such a difficult thing for many people. And it's been diff- it, like it's still difficult for me sometimes. And what I remind myself is that it's a practice. Truth is a practice like anything else. It is not a light switch. It's not tomorrow I'm going to tell the truth all day and be perfect. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Because you get, simultaneously, you get better at how to express the truth. But you also get better at identifying within yourself. Like if someone is making you angry, how much of that is them? Because sometimes people are legitimately crossing a boundary. Or how much of that is you and your programming and your triggering? And the better you get at parsing those two out, you can really start to see that, okay, that's 50% me, 50% them. And I'm going to let go of the part that's 50% me. So I don't need to like dwell on that extra anger I've summoned because my parents used to act like that 20 years ago. Deep breath. (sighs) Okay, now I'm going to present this person with like, hey, when you cross that boundary of mind, it really makes me feel like you don't respect me as a person. Now, I know that may not be the case, but I'd love to have a dialogue about this, about how we can set a better boundary for both of us. That truth is miles different than like, hey, fuck you, stop using the bathroom when I need it. (laughs) Totally. Because again, it's like, what feels good? One of them just doesn't feel good. It just always, even if it feels good for a second, you end up carrying around, you know, what I would characterize as like an energetic density, you know, about it. And 
for some people that just might manifest as an unconscious thought that they're having that keeps returning. But then as you kind of progress through these stages, like you can actually feel the weight of when there's something negative between you and someone. And for me, again, the more sensitive that I've gotten, it just like manifests very quickly and physically. So if I'm holding a grudge or something, I'll be just like nauseous about it. And sometimes I don't even know what that grudge is. So I have to go in, I have to do the work and find it. But, you know, the more that we work with these things, it's a blessing and a curse in, in ways because we just can't hide from it anymore. And that's exactly it. Like you get to this point where it's, it's a blessing in that you have better access to your truth. But if you then opt into ignoring that truth, you'll start to find this is what it is for me. Like I'll find that everything a person is doing annoys me. And I know it's like, what are the chances that the entirety of their being is annoying? Not likely. That doesn't, <laughs> hmm. When I logically sit with that, that doesn't make sense. But what I've done is I've allowed an unspoken truth to then color my entire experience of a person. And when I do that, I'm doing myself a disservice. Like, let's get selfish for a second. I'm doing myself a disservice by spending a long time in this lower vibrational state where I feel like shit because I haven't expressed my truth. That's how you need to access doing this. Like sharing your truth will make you, the listener, feel better. You will feel better because you won't be carrying around this baggage that wasn't really yours to hold in the first place. Mm -hmm. And yet, why don't we do it? You know, it's, it's so easy to not express those truths, to bypass ourselves, to say, oh, that person's just going through a process. They'll realize someday or, you know, I don't want to stir up more. I don't want more conflict. Mm -hmm. All of these kind of excuses that we, we tell ourselves and maybe I'm just not seeing the true reality of their experience. Better not to say anything, just hold it. So yeah, I'm curious, like, what do you think can be done about that? I think it's stopping inner, ourselves yeah. yeah i think it's inner work so I'll, I'll actually i'm curious so do have you traced back some of where a hesitancy to share truth comes from for you uh yeah i mean i think it's very it's obviously multi-layered mm -hmm. but <clears throat> i think that Part of my conditioning as woman, you know, this is not all of it, but as woman, as woman that, that looks a certain way, um, I think unconsciously I learned how to navigate the energy that was coming at me. And when you're super young, I mean, like a teenager, even before that, and this sort of sexual energy, whether it's physically expressed or not, people's psychic subconscious expression toward you is of that nature. Um, you learn to manipulate, you learn to navigate the world in a certain way that's going to keep you safe. And for me, it was not safe to, um, it did not feel safe to express. It did not feel safe to say, look at me. 
although I did uh, in rebellion often, and, and I put myself into some really unsafe situations. And that just reiterated that worldview of like, well, when I'm out there and I'm myself and I'm outgoing and I dress beautiful, you know, I get abused. And so that was a story that perpetuated itself for many, many, many years. And I attracted all kinds of relationships that just validated that sort of abuse cycle power dynamic and um, it has taken a lot of unbundling so I, I think that's that is a huge part and then another thing is that I don't know why per se but I have a, a trigger that I actively am aware of and work with around people whom are in this space like you and I, but are completely unaware of their own ego. And I think that it took me so long to even start a podcast because I did not want to. And I fear, and I probably will fear maybe for some time until I work through it, that I'm going to fall unconscious and I'm going to be one of those people who thinks they're the greatest ever and everyone should listen to them. And start saying things like, oh, I channel now and, you know, because um, I, I don't know. I just think some of these things are thrown around so much that it takes away the sacredness of them. So I think when you don't want to be one thing so hard in a strange way, you can just totally stifle yourself and, and, some, and sometimes make yourself exactly that which you fear. So it's yeah it's fascinating to think about but those are two kind of two core reasons i think that it hasn't felt completely safe for me to express who i am at various points in the past love that and i totally share <laughs> on your second point i have the exact same thing and I, what i've summarized it to in my own head is like i am terrified of anyone that is really sure of themselves mm. And not in like a positive way, like, oh, I'm confident. That's one thing. But I've, <sighs> I've ran into people that are so sure that they absolutely know what is going on. And like in the psychedelic space, even like, oh, I experienced this. And so now I know for sure. And I'm just like, mm. Mm. <laughs> there's a certain... Yeah the ego sneaks in the back door on that one it comes in and says yeah. mm, now we're sure <laughs> we know everything so I'm you very... hit the nail on the head you hit the nail on the head with that one alex because it's like then that this thing at least a little bit like rubs my ego and i'll go like well i am i am fully sure that i am unsure of everything for the most part. So it's like, what does that say about me if I'm out here um, uh, being willing to re-examine everything that I say if someone brings it to my attention and, and being willing to say I was wrong? Um, how does that stack me up against like Tony Robbins types that are like, this is the way? Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of like, I don't know, man. I think there are many ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh... I like, and I'm not going to remember who this quote is attributed to, but someone said, 
<laughs> strong opinions loosely held. Mm. And I love that quote. Mm. Like, it's okay for me to go, here are some things that I fucking believe in right now. But if you show me different evidence, I'm willing mm-hmm. to tell myself to fuck off. Mm-hmm. So like, it's okay to be proclaiming what you believe right. with the simultaneous understanding that I'm very willing to be wrong about the thing. I say, like I always preface when I, when I <laughs> tell a story about psychedelics or tell something about a like mind altering experience, I'm like, here's what I think it was. However, I'm willing to be wrong about what it was. Because sometimes that next trip, I'm like, oh yeah, I was stupid last time. What was I thinking? Totally, yeah. So I'll trace back one of the pieces of me that has resisted truth in the past that I think, I like sharing these because I think both it's therapeutic for us to get to talk about it. It concretizes it in our memory and in our mind that like, okay, yeah, that's right. That's where my resistance to truth comes from. But it also, it gives, it puts a compass in people's hand of like, this is some of the tracing back you can do as an individual to find the spots you are resistant to sharing truth. And it's a useful exercise because just the awareness alone actually does a lot of the work for you. And beyond that, there's more work to do, of course, but you will get, I don't want to put a number on it, but let's just say 50%, a 50% improvement if you know where it comes from that causes you not share truth. This one that blew my mind recently. So, and this is with Eric Godsey helped unpack a part of a dream that then triggered this sequence of figuring this out. So I had this old dream. I'll give you just the quick rundown of it. I would go down into the basement of my family home. And then in the basement, there'd be a trap door. I'd open the trap door. I'd go down into another basement. In that basement, there'd be another trap door. I'd go on down another layer, another trap door, down another layer, four or five, six times. At the bottom of this sequence of sub-basements, there would always be a witch running around, cackling, absolutely erratic, absolutely terrifying. And just like, I would usually wake up at that point. And this is a dream I had probably, the earliest I can remember it is like 12 years old. And I probably had it through the time I was maybe 22, recurring, like at least once a year, sometimes more. And almost like exactly the same dream. That's kind of a good good reference that like, that's an important dream to dig into. So while I had never unpacked that dream directly, I'd done some other work on some of the things it was about, but what Godzi illuminated to me was like, he was like, I think the witch is representative of the shadow side of your power. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I dug into it more and I realized that one of the main reasons I was really resistant to both sharing truth, but also being in truth with myself was my parents were very erratic emotionally growing up. So what I mirrored as a young kid was like, if I become powerful in any way, I may have some of that erratic behavior in me. And as such, I will cause a lot of people a lot of pain. I had painted this deep story and it's mirrored in the in the layers layers deep and the family household being the primer for it that 
if I share my truth and I share who I really am, that because my parents were a certain way that I would then be the same way and that I would cause other people pain. And like, as soon as I understood that, I was just like, oh, fuck. How many times have I held back from sharing, held back from understanding myself better simply because I was fearful that if I became powerful and powerful is a weird word i think everyone can become powerful together i don't think it's a like uniquely me powerful but if i became powerful that i would have this increased capacity for harm and it's like fuck all right i unpatterned that and finally got to the bottom of that and it just became so much easier to just share truth day in day out oh here's that thing again all right, which side am I going to embrace? Because I know that's just a story. So let's embrace the story over here instead. That is really powerful. What a dream, too. Did you stop having the dream? Or do you still have it sometimes? <laughs> I stopped having it. And there's... So I'll, I'll give you the, <laughs> the briefest highlights I can possibly give because my psilocybin trip from a couple days ago really mm. dug deep into this. So one of the things Godzi said to me that was reflected in, from Jung was that Jung had a, a dream that was recurring where he would go down into the basement of his house and each layer, it would get like progressively less finished and it would get more just like dirt. And then eventually it's just a cave. And then eventually it's just like a cave with bones in it. And he thought that the cave with bones in it was the collective unconscious. So this could require a little bit of unpacking to make this make sense. <laughs> a piece of the dream I would have intermittently, not every time, was that it would have this sort of aspect where like, the features of the basements would become less and less like a real basement and more and more like a cave or a dirt, just like a cavern. I'm going to see if I can tie these things together in a way that makes sense because I haven't spoken this part out loud yet. It's, it's so making fresh. complete sense thus okay. far. And yeah, we're all enjoying this. So take your time with it. Beautiful. So I had had a previous ayahuasca experience where the message was clear and the message was investigate or explore the bones of the earth. And at the time that I received that message, I was under the impression that like, Oh, I should go visit Machu Picchu. I should go visit like the pyramids. Like I should go visit these old ancient places. Cause who knows? I should go check it out. Like even just to go travel. It's a good idea. What became increasingly apparent to me was that the, the imperative there was the bones of the earth were representative of the collective unconscious. And this is what was laid clear in my most recent mushroom trip, that a part of why I am here, and I guess I should unpack a term first for maybe those that don't know it, the collective unconscious is what Jung refers to as the, let's call it the, the astral cultural soup of every generation of human that has ever come before us that is all floating out in the ether, but it's also within your head because you are a product of 
the evolution that has put it into you over many, many million millennia. Like this has been brought into you and you have access to it. And it's also not a part of your conscious mind. You don't think about this day to day. So my most recent mushroom trip, trip, I took 7.5 grams, which I cannot state enough that I do not recommend to people without a lot of experience. It's a healthy dose. Wow. It's, it was deep. <laughs> I went super deep. That's intense, my friend. I went, basically I had an option right at the beginning of the trip and the option essentially was a picture I had painted. It represented itself as an up arrow and a down arrow. And it's this, I don't know if you can see, there's like that little tree on my altar there. So it's a painting I had made a long time ago that just kind of represents the idea of as above, so below. Had that in front of me, looking at it. Becomes very clear to me that I have two options for this trip. I have an up arrow, which if I just go ahead and I lay down, I throw my eye mask on like I normally do, I get all comfy, I put my blanket over myself, and I really, I'm going to have like a joyful trip. It's going to be the upward trip. The other option is I can sit in this uncomfortable position, straight up, spine erect the whole way through, and that's the equivalent of me pushing the down arrow and going into whatever depths are below. I'm a spiritual masochist, I chose down arrow. Let's find out what the fuck's in there. I relate to you, my friend, so much. This is why we like each other. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go see what's in the deep dark cavern, fuck it. So I proceeded to go through two full hours of just every possible hell imaginable from physical pain to betrayal to loved ones dying to just seeing myself never amount to anything and i was so deep in it like eye mask on eye mask off was no different in terms of the visions that were happening eyes open eyes closed no different there was no i had no opt-out button like you do at some lower doses if you take two grams you can throw your eye mask on you can really be tripping but you, then you pull your eye mask off and like you're in the world again and everything's okay. So, and this is what was so interesting about this trip. It felt like I was going progressively layers and layers deeper into hell. And then at a certain point, I fucking popped out the bottom into this space of just peace and quiet and calm. And that space was the Akashic Records which for those that don't know is the like the spiritual idea of a collection of all the knowledge past and present and future ever in existence. And like the pieces I'm tying together here was I only, I asked one question while I was there. First of all, I was taken aback by the vastness. I was like, how would I ever find any information in this place? Like this is massive. How am I supposed to find an answer to my question? I was like, I should, I should summon a librarian. Like, oh, duh. Light being comes over to me and goes, what's your question? I go, what's my, what's my task here? Like, what's, this was my intention for the whole trip. I was like, what's my task? Not, I think I know what my task is for the course of my life. What's my task right now in this moment? And the spirit goes, exactly what you're doing. Going to these depths and bringing back the light from the depth of the un unconscious and taking that back and being able to communicate it in a way that makes sense to others. I was like, oh, 
oh shit and just like all at once like a hundred things rushed together for me of just like oh this is part of what that dream was about oh this is part of what investigate the bones of the earth was about oh jesus and just like combined all at once and just like then it was like this overwhelming feeling of okay i can stay here and ask more questions and like a big part of me wanted to do that like what about aliens what about <laughs> like let me ask all the cool questions but there is this sort of internal feeling. And I think this is a Jung quote as well, which is like, beware of unearned wisdom. And that was the feeling that was overwhelming to me in that space. Like, all right, I asked my question. I, I got what I came here for. And do you remember Aladdin? He goes in, he's just there to get the lamp. Mm-hmm. Only when mm-hmm. he goes for other shit, do things fall apart. Right. That's what I was feeling. And I'm like, okay, back out. <laughs> and there's a ton more to the story, and it actually like kept going from there. But I'll, I'll leave it at that because that's what was related. But it was fucking just wild. And I was like, okay, now I have some picture of what I'm supposed to be doing. That is an incredibly powerful experience. And it resonates with me in so many ways, so, so many ways. And I recognize that place that exists on the other side of all of that turbulent hell. It really is like, you can't get there unless you pass through those portals. You have to watch every single horrific thing that you were ever afraid of or will ever be afraid of occurring as one possible reality just to, and just allowing the experience of it. Because when you can, it's like that ceiling thing that we were talking about before. It's like when you can just allow suffering particularly allow yourself to suffer um, and have the compassion for yourself while that's occurring, the ceiling and the bottom, they get punched out. And that's where the infinite, that's where the love, that's where the beauty is. You have to see that you created the box and smash it before you're allowed to take in the absolute magic that is just on the other side absolutely it's uh it's a gift i wish i could impart upon people well you are in your own way without the suffering (laughs) but i think (laughs) it as you said it is a it's almost as if for you to possibly be a container in which could experience the vastness of everything you have to get smashed first so that you can take a new form you said it yourself too i mean just even in our waking lives where has the most growth come from Mm -hmm. it's those moments of suffering and if we can allow the experience of all of that in our daily lives and not attached to the, the, the pain that comes with the suffering, just to have the acknowledgement of like, ooh, I'm in this situation right now and it's proving to be really difficult. 
like good job Hal. like good job Hallie or good job Alex you're like really trying to act with grace you're trying to take care of yourself you're trying to do the best that you can in this situation that's how you suffer with dignity hmm. right um to to try and live a life with with no suffering i think you're siphoning yourself off from the truth um and i don't think yeah i mean here we're we're again we're getting into uh the details of the syntax but like what is suffering what is pain but just like in a very buddhist sense i do believe that suffering is is a part of this journey and it is how we choose to tell stories around the suffering how we choose to respond with our thoughts and our feelings that ultimately create this reality that we were talking about and just to throw it back to a moment for me a turning point in my awakening was in my second ceremony with ayahuasca last year it's actually the very same ceremony in which I was told about doing a podcast, which I laughed at at the time because of the ego thing. Yeah. I was like, this is my ego, man. I'm not, what? Nobody goes podcast? into ayahuasca and gets told they're very like, whatever. Use your Instagram um, more. <laughs> right. um, but I, I, and I've told this story again on my podcast, but people ask me where I got the name, the thought room from. And it came from, an experience with ayahuasca. And once I settled, I drank the medicine, I settled into this place in my journey after going through a little bit of suffering and then I just kind of settled and I was just in this space. It really was like, I don't know, the quantum field, just energy possibility. But it was kind of this infinite void it felt like to me and I was sitting there in the isness of that experience there was nothing there were there wasn't a thought there wasn't a visual it was just beingness and then all of a sudden I had a thought and for the very first time I I experienced a visual representation of my thought. So how that looked like in this infinite void was I had a thought that was like, wow, this is really neat. Something that simple. And it was like, like a drop of rainbow magical color that sort of melted in from above and started to swirl in all directions. And it was almost like being inside of a kaleidoscope, a whimsical Dr. Seuss sort of world, just like building itself around me. And I was enamored i was enchanted i was going wow this is so beautiful this is so magical and it was pulsing it was warm my heart was exploding with fireworks and then the thought changed to oh man i wish like i wish someone was looking at this with me or i wish i could share this with someone and then that thought tumbled me into i'm so lonely Mm -hmm. and the moment i had that thought the room that I was in, this whimsical, pulsing rainbow room, suddenly sharply contracted like somebody's sucking in air. And I felt 
I felt um, suffocated and the room got um, like monochromatic, like the colors bled out of it just like rapidly. And I was like, ooh, this room feels really funky now. Like what happened? And then I had, a, you know, my thoughts just kept going in all these directions, sort of like I was a paper boat being tossed around in the ocean until I got the hang of it. I didn't realize that I was causing the room to change. Mm. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, this, the feelings, the embodiment that I get to experience is based on the thought that I put out. So let me try like tossing out some positive thoughts and see how I feel. I mean, you're sitting nodding, but like at the time that this happened to me, this was mind blowing shit. I was like, wait, I always knew like law of attraction, people talking Mm -hmm. about their thoughts, but I didn't know. I didn't get it to this degree that Mm -hmm. I am creating. I am the creator of the experience. I always thought, well, like if something happens to me and I feel a certain way, it's because like those the thing is causing it, you know, like if I'm pissed that it's snowing, it's like, yeah, cause it is, it's snowing today where I am. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm it, cause it sucks that it's snowing. That's just the truth. That's just the reality. And so, you know, I had been for a very long time victimizing myself in my life and externalizing all of my problems. And so this was a very big turning point for me. And then a couple weeks after my experience at Soltara, I was back home sort of being like, all right, I guess I'm going to start this podcast. I don't know who's going to be on it or what's going to happen, but I need a name for it. And I flipped back through my integration notes and I had written down the thought rooms. Remember the thought rooms. Remember to ask yourself, how do I want to feel? And then choose a thought that makes you feel that way. And so that's the story behind how I started what I'm doing now. Yeah, love that. It's, yeah. I think it's a, there's such a difference between this sort of embodied knowledge that you experienced and between just like knowing something logically or knowing something just because you've memorized the information. Yeah. And I think that's a part of why psychedelics these different entheogens can be so impactful like it's just such a difference when you're immersed in the experience of something versus if i tell you about it absolutely it it just shifts like the best way i could put it would be if if i can tell you about playing golf all day and if you've never played golf you're like okay yeah i can understand what you're doing but only after you've gone out and played a game could you understand all of the little technicalities and all of the little details to the experience so me telling you is great and it's better than nothing but really there's a lot of these times where people need to experience it for themselves to really get some of that juice that is mm, there absolutely it's also like the feeling that you get when you are in that sweet spot in a new hobby where you actually start to get the nuances of it. So whether you're learning a musical instrument and you hit that curve and you're finally like, oh, I can read any tab now and I can play anything. Or maybe you're learning rock climbing and you're, you're getting the vernacular, you're getting, you're getting what rock climbing life is about, or you're getting, you know, what golf life is about. And you're just like, you're part of a different understanding. It's like, 
the same activity was always there, except you've shifted your paradigm within it and your understanding to a much more intimate level. And to me, that's what really happens in relation to ourselves when we do things like meditate or engage with plant medicines in a ritualistic way. Nikita on an important thing there, ritualistic way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can't Mm -hmm. emphasize that piece enough for people. Yeah, I mean, I definitely had periods in my life, short periods, short-lived periods, because again, I was so late to the game. I mean, I never really, I didn't even smoke cannabis or anything like that in, in high school. I didn't really drink. I just wasn't drawn to it. Um, so it, I kind of had like a delayed adolescence, I think, when I moved to New York in my 20s. I I did kind of go through that that pocket of time where doing things recreationally was where I was at. And there's no judgment in that. I think that that's, again, important. Um, All of our experiences are important because they provide contrast and they allow us to get more clear about what it is we want to create and attract and manifest in our lives. And sometimes the only way to do that is to see and experience something that we don't want. And yeah, for me, I, I had a, a really traumatic experience with party drugs. And looking back now, I think that what I had was not what I thought I had. And the place that it brought me to was a place that I was not ready to see at that mm-hmm. given time in my development. And although I was with a great group of people and it was pretty safe in that regard physically my consciousness was not at a level to play with what I saw and kind of experiencing full dissociation and all of that you know um when you think you're you're taking some MDMA or something like Mm -hmm. that and you end up in a really really funky place where you can see how how the fabric of reality is knitted together (laughs) at all um so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's cautionary. And I said this before, even with something as simple as breath work or meditation, because you have to know yourself, you have to know where you're at. If you're somebody who has a propensity to go really deep pretty easily, don't let other people tell you how much psychedelics you need. Don't let other people tell you exactly how much you should be meditating like, you know, mm-hmm. and I've made a mistake several times where people have been like, you should have a little bit more of this or that. Maybe you're just experiencing fear. Mm-hmm. And the truth is there's no rush. There's no exactly. rush. It's always better in my opinion to, and, and a lot of people would probably fight me on this, but dosing on the conservative, conservative side or waiting a very, very, very long time until you're ready for that first psychedelic experience or that psychedelic experience with a new substance you've not tried, then to just throw yourself in. That to me is not really the smart way to be going about it. And in a way, I think that's an ego shadow that wants you to be somewhere than, other than than where you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's your not acceptance of yourself. 
and a guilt that throws you into an experience that perhaps you're not ready for. So I would just say, you know, trust your soul with that stuff. Cause even in meditation, you can, it's easy to become, once you become well-practiced, you can go so deep that you can become untethered if you're not checking back in with your body. Like, mm -hmm. is it where you left it? You know, and this sounds maybe wild to some people, but it's, it's really not the, there are many ways to get to these places, breathwork, kundalini, vipassana, psychedelics, nothing at all. <laughs> you know, there, there are many, many paths. And I think that people need to give themselves permission to trust themselves above everything. It's a question that I ask almost everyone that I've, that I speak with that's about to do a psychedelic experience, but cause I'm very, so to even revert back to the term ritualistic, I think that anything can be a ritual. Us going to a music festival on mushrooms can be a ritual of joy if we intentionally choose that ahead of time. The question I tell people to ask themselves or invite them to ask themselves is, am I using this medicine in an effort to escape from a way that I'm feeling or am I using this in an effort to enhance my understanding of myself and if the answer is to escape then it's worth doing some digging first to go what am i running from why am i running from it because it's exactly what you said that people come in and they want to do a big dose and you can just see that it's like this pain response to I don't want to feel what I'm feeling anymore. I want to run away from it. But it's, you have so much time to do many of these experiences that I can't stress enough. Like just start small and then build up over time. Like it's only going to be better over time as long as you commit yourself to that path. Now, if you take a gram and this is your 10th experience in a row where you're only taking a gram, then you can analyze like, okay, is this fear keeping me from going deeper? But for a lot of people, when it's like their first time, they're like, All right, I think I'm going to go for five grams, hero's journey. And I'm like, sometimes the torch of the light of awareness burns away all of who they are because they've been living so unconsciously. And that doesn't always go well on a first experience. No. <laughs> I think we're laughing about it too, because I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I have definitely experienced things like that where I was like, Oh, this is like the torch burning away all aspects of who I am. So I'm laughing about it now because I'm remembering what a discombobulated shell I felt like after I truly felt like my personality and my ego dissolved, not just for like the hours that I was in ceremony. I'm talking about for like weeks and sometimes months afterward not being clear about what I was supposed to be doing, like in life, like waking up feeling a little bit confused every day and looking around at my family and being like, wait, okay, so this is my family. This is like, wait, I live here. These are the things I'm supposed to care about. Right, right, right. Like actually rehearsing them to mm -hmm. myself because I had gone so deep and so far. And that sounds kind of funny but it's actually like the most terrifying yeah, 100%. thing that you can experience like even more so than 
being in those journeys and having the experience of dying a psychological death or the pain of a physical death and experiencing that in the moment. What's more terrifying is coming out of the journey and thinking, okay, I'm out now. And then feeling like you're not, you're not back, man. You're just like, it's going to take some work and, and there's a big question mark on how long that's going to take. That's if you really want to feel out of control, that's the feeling. It's, it's a story I don't tell often because I think it, it requires a careful analysis for people to receive. And I'm very, I think psychedelics on average are very safe, especially when used in a ritualistic context. However, they're not without risks and I'll share just some of what I experienced with hopes that it doesn't add to any fear mongering out there. But I had an experience and I think it was my second or third mushroom experience that it was this experience. So my first experience was beautiful. Like I melted away into the universe. And this is why I was trying to kick the habit of drinking. Like I was a terrible alcoholic. I was 21, 22 and just Mm. drinking four nights a week. And my whole ego was built around me being the fun party guy. Like that was everything to me. So I was trying to get rid of that. The first experience, this beautiful experience, I dissolved into the universe. I experienced complete unconditional love, which was exactly what I needed in that moment. And I had this whole all-encompassing just feeling that I am enough. And like, obviously the drinking was a response to me not feeling like I'm enough. Like, oh, I'm not charming enough sober. I better drink some. So that was the first experience. And I'm like, okay, great. Like I'm ready to do another experience. It was like two months later. I went back in and the whole experience was just walking me through everyone I'd ever hurt in my entire life as a result of being unconscious. And then it brought me right to the, the absolute bottom of a giant mountain that extended up into the stratosphere that I couldn't see where it ended. And it was like, this is your potential and you're at the bottom. And I was like, fuck. And I think the thing I want to like highlight for people is that was a really potent experience for me. And for four weeks after, I was like straight up depressed. Like not suicidal, but very depressed. And what I want to highlight about that is I was, I don't know, a couple of bad things happening to me away from something being really negative. So I think it is just, it's important to acknowledge and like, I didn't have the tools for integration then that I have now. So that was a big part of it, but it's like, it's important for me to highlight that story because it really, it's easy for me to reflect on my own experiences and go, everything has served me to become the person I am today, which it has. But I don't want to say that without giving the caution that just because my path took me a certain way doesn't mean it would go exactly the same for you. Like if I had had that experience and then both my parents died in a car wreck the next day, I don't know. Would I be here? Hard to say. Right. Well, I'm curious because, you know, some people listening to this, and I think this is good. And I think that you and I on both of our podcasts provide a very 
balanced point of view with psychedelics. So I don't think we're at risk of maybe deterring someone who was thinking about it, who, you know, wants to, or, mm -hmm. you know, just giving people more information. I think that this is, is really important for us to provide this balanced perspective. And as part of that, you mentioned, I'm really glad that I have the integration tools. So for those listening who maybe are preparing for a journey for the first time or are well on their way, but are always looking to kind of plump up their tool belt of mm -hmm. integration tools, could you give some practical examples of what you're doing that you find helpful? So number one, and if you're a person out there that's like, I don't have anyone around me that's ever taken psychedelics, reach out to me personally afterwards. I'm not encouraging you to do anything. It's not a recommendation that you do anything illegal in your area, but if you're going to do it anyways, reach out to me because I think one of the things that helps me the absolute most now is having a community of people I can talk about it with after the experience because they're able to provide reference points that maybe they've experienced and they're able to provide context and it's just so, I think something I see happen a lot to people is they come back from this absolutely like reality shattering experience. All their old paradigms are falling away and they're becoming this totally new person. And then they are thrust right back into their day-to-day -day normal life and they have no support community around them. So all of a sudden they're just like going back to the same job, except now they're hyper aware that they hate that job. And it can be, really destabilizing because you have no one to talk to about it. So you feel alone. You feel a little crazy. Like, what did I just do? I can't believe that experience. So piece number one is like, fine. And there's communities upon communities online where you can reach out for this kind of stuff for free. You could find people to connect with, but having people to, to speak your experience out loud to who have done similar experiences, that's a really important piece of it is a game changer. That's what really helps me to unpack different, even just like in the course of this conversation today, as we dug through some psychedelic experiences, it makes new connections for me. So mm -hmm. that's first and foremost. Journaling is just such an obvious one, but I, I specifically like to journal upon what my action steps are from what I learned, because I think that is something that often gets missed. People have a big revelatory experience, like, wow, this is what I need to do. And they like, what are the nuts and bolts of what you're going to do next? If you realized you don't love yourself, what are you doing tomorrow to help you love yourself more? So I think that's another piece that could be helpful. Beyond that, like re-engaging with things that bring you joy to allow yourself the experience of almost seeing them with fresh eyes and giving yourself I think there's this feeling sometimes, especially after a first experience or first couple of experience that like we have to do everything all at once because we're way behind, which like people get this feeling, like I got that feeling at 22. What? <laughs> I'm way behind. Oh no. Like I think a lot of people are feeling that way behindness right now mm, in particular. Yeah. It, it's, it's good in some senses to light a little bit of a fire under your ass and get you moving. At the same time, don't forget to engage with the things that you love doing, the things that bring you pleasure. Don't turn it into, I learned this big lesson from the, the plants and now play is gone from my life and I'm only moving forward, so. 
That's interesting. I feel like in a way you're directly speaking to me right now. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that happens? Because my, my father just, and I keep telling stories about him because he's like one of the only two people in the house that I'm quarantined with right now. So all my stories about these very limited group of people right now. Um, but he was just like, I think you need some play. I think you need some play. And I'm so guilty of that, as you mentioned, this kind of like spiritual masochist where I always want to face the darkness full on. And I'm like, I'm here for it. I'm showing up. There's still the ability to fall out of balance with that and, and forget why we're here and forget how to play. And so as I was, I was listening to all this, I was like, oh yeah, that's a really good reminder to engage with things that we find pleasurable. And then I was just kind of loftily assessing this pattern of when I get into darker pockets in my life. And the challenge is that when I'm in those spaces, I forget the things that bring me pleasure. So if, if someone were to ask me, what do you enjoy doing? The answer would be nothing like during those periods. Like it's, it's so funny because the feeling of, of that feels so true when you're in those moments. And I know people with depression struggle with gratitude practice too, which conversely we've also proven is highly effective in starting to set you on a more positive trajectory of thought over time if it's rehearsed. So it's kind of ironic. And I'm curious, like, for you, if you have advice or knowledge or a sense of if someone is in a spot where they're feeling like they don't even have access to play mm -hmm. or that they're maybe not deserving of play or they don't remember what makes them feel joyful and all they've got is this track in their head of to-do lists and anxiety, like what are, what, you know, what are your tools? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And I think this is where a lot of people get stuck because even if they have an awareness of what they think is play, they don't give themselves permission to do it. So it's two things. We, our subconscious mind kind of correctly beats us up when we use play as escapism unconsciously. So let me unpack that a little bit. I had a fucking terrible day today. So I'm going to have a huge pizza and I'm going to watch the shitty soap opera I like and not think. Your, your subconscious correctly kind of gives you a lashing about that. Cause it's like, hey, you're running away right now. You're not processing anything. You're not figuring anything out. But we, we have a lot of difficulty or I have a lot of difficulty in the past separating out that that doesn't mean that play is bad. It means that I'm going to have a lot more success when I pre-plan specific amounts of play. So for example, video games for me is like my fucking number one. Like, let me sing some time What's for this. What's your favorite video game? Right now I'm playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is fucking fantastic, especially because there's so many archetypal themes in it mm. that I'm getting like a double, a double hit of dopamine for me. I'm like, I'm <laughs> learning archetypes and I'm playing a game. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, but that like playing video games is it for me. And yeah. it's the difference between 
okay, today it's Friday and I've got like three more calls to do throughout the day and a little bit of other work. But after I'm done with all that, I'll probably play like two hours of video games tonight. And it's planned in advance. It's not a reaction to my emotional state. And as such, I don't feel guilt when I'm in it. Mm. The guilt often comes from knowing that in a way you tapped out to how you were feeling and you just tried to sink into something that won't make you think. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So getting proactive about it, which I'm very empathetic that it can be difficult when you're in that state. Like I fully understand that, but just to pick one thing that you know you've enjoyed in the past, like, wow, I love watching a movie and tell yourself, hey, Friday night at 6 p.m., I'm going to watch a two and a half hour movie, whatever movie I want. I'm not going to beat myself up over it and I'm just going to enjoy it and allow myself some time to rest. It's a game changer for a lot of people because especially people like you, people like me, we're run a thousand miles an hour type people that are like, let's get more done. Yeah. (laughs) Can I be more productive? And that it serves us in some ways, but this is one of the ways where it, it falls on its face is like, where are you creating space for just like purely objectively non-productive pleasure in your life? Yeah. I mean, I think Godzi has been talking about this the last couple of weeks too. Like that's, that's his, his follies. He's just saying like, oh yeah, I got to take time to actually rest and then not feel guilty about the rest. And I think that guilt again is what's so problematic. I am thinking of one of the recordings I've listened to on Audible of, I buy a lot of the, the Abraham Hicks, Esther Hicks recordings. And there's one part during one of the recordings where they're talking about uh, weight loss, weight gain, and eating sugary foods. And why, why does one person, why can one person eat a chocolate chip cookie and they stay thin and then another person, you know, eats it and they just get fatter and fatter and fatter. And a lot of people, you know, argue, would argue or would say or postu- postulate that it's because of genetics and all these other factors. But what Abraham was maintaining was that it's all energetics and it's actually feeding on the guilt is what's making that person feel or get fatter. So it's, it's the thought and the emotion attached to the cookie rather than the cookie itself. And so I think this is kind of what we're getting at with the engaging in the movie or the video games or things that bring us pleasure. It is, I see exactly what's going on here and I'm going to reward myself with this pleasure just because um, I don't have to do anything to earn it. I don't have to run away from other things to deserve it. I can just have it. I can be, have it there and enjoy it in this small quantity that is managed and acceptable. And it doesn't have to be, I'm denying myself of everything all week and then sneaking to the fridge at midnight and binge eating or I'm denying myself of all of my pleasure. And then, so now I'm going to spend 12 hours playing video games and just completely numb out and then feel like shit afterward. Right. Mm. So there's alternatives and uh, yeah. 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 And I want to, I want to tweak only one word of what you said because Mm -hmm. all of that was really good. There's one word that I'm willing, I'm willing to be wrong on, but 
Lay it on me. I would throw out the word acceptable. Mm. Tell that word to fuck off because I think that we, what you may need today that you plan for yourself later is like, no, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I want to be totally irreverent today. I am going to spend an entire day just frolicking through a field and fucking doing nothing else. (laughs) There's value in that. And I think it helps for people to identify which kind of person they are on average right now. It's not like you're stuck as that person, but for you and me, it's we're we need to plan in what our relaxation is. Otherwise it doesn't happen. There are some people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum and they, they know who they are. And for them, it's not an issue so much of like, I don't do things that are relaxing. It's like, I only do things that are relaxing. So identifying which side it is and then kind of, giving yourself just like full licensure to go, hey, my problem is not that I don't work hard enough. And it's really unlikely that that is going to like tonight suddenly shift away and I'm going to become not a hard worker anymore. Taking out the acceptable piece of it going, even like it's almost, it may even be better if you picked something that you were just like, you think about it and you're like, there's no way it's okay for me to do that for seven hours <laughs> as a challenge to yourself. Like, all right, this is the thing I need to lean into right now. This is the yeah. joy I need to pursue. Mm. Yeah, you're right. So much to think about, Alex. Mm. Really good stuff. Yeah. Well, we're getting to the end here. This this is definitely good. This is my longest podcast now. Yeah. I think, which is beautiful though. In our true overachiever fashion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the last question I always like to ask on the podcast is what is the thing right now? And it's okay if it's nothing. So we talked a little bit about that. So maybe nothing, but what is the thing right now that is most lighting your fire? Or what is the thing you are most excited about coming up in the next, let's say, seven to 14 days? Hmm. I am most excited about the unexpected and beautiful ways in which my community is expanding. And with this global time of rest and being at home it has invited and allowed us to become creative in so many ways and i've had the joy and the honor of being invited onto several podcasts such as this one last week i was on the mycadelic podcast and i truly believe that a lot of these connections are happening because we're in a position of needing to go outside of our normal. And I've just been able to connect with new listeners. I've been able to um, connect with people for coaching and start to work on some of my programs that I'm really excited to be launching. Mm -hmm. And again, just working on my book. So just riding riding the waves of creation and beauty and possibility and inviting in more expansiveness and co-creation beautiful 
Yeah, it's a, it's a really beautiful time right now, I think, for people to have access to stuff like this and have access to all of these myriad tools in which we can really have the first time in our or our parents' generations that the slate is kind of wiped clean for a little while and we all get a chance to build from that. I think it's an exciting time to be in. Totally. Uh, where can people find you? Socials? Thought room, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So please, if you enjoyed this interview, um, please check out my podcast. You'll find many more interviews along this same vein. And I've had some pretty cool, amazing guests on. Um, Alex, I'm going to have to get you on at some point too. Looking forward to that. But you can find the podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So Spotify, Apple, Stitcher. It's also found at thoughtroompodcast.com at thoughtroompodcast on Instagram. My personal Instagram is at Hallie underscore Rosebud. So H-A-L-L-I-E underscore Rosebud like the flower. Please find me there. I love being active with my community. I love chatting with you. I love when people share things with me. I also do one-on-ones on a limited basis, so I'm happy to, to offer integration support as much as I can and any other life coaching needs you might have. And I believe, I believe that's all that I want to say. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex. This has just been absolutely a blast it's so easy to riff with you you're such a natural and you ask fantastic questions and thank you for your stories as well thank you for being on and the last thing i like to say to people i like to take a second to honor my guest so yeah. ali and <laughs> i always give people because i'm so uncomfortable with receiving <laughs> praise uh. and i think you might be a little bit the same as me so <laughs> if you are that way then here's an opportunity to, to just let it land. But okay. I just wanted to take a second to honor you for how I think the thing that impresses me the most is the bravery and the honesty in which you pursue your own internal work as a light which you can shine for other people to see. You're not just doing this work so you can be better. It's very clear from your entire being you are doing this world this world a service by lighting yourself up bright enough that others can go, oh shit, well, if Haller was able to do that, maybe I can dig myself out of this hole too. So I just want to say thank you for being you, for shining that light. I think it, this episode is a fucking instant classic that I think people will come <laughs> back to repeated times. And I'm really happy to have had this opportunity. So thank you for being on. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope you found it as impactful as I did. Hallie has a super, super interesting journey. So getting to talk to her throughout this podcast was pleasurable for me because I got a chance to really analyze some parts of my own personal journey that I haven't talked about publicly. 
So it was a good one for me, and I hope it was good for you as well. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, the best thing you can do to help grow the show is to leave a five-star review on iTunes or leave a written review on iTunes. It really, really helps us spread this podcast further and get this message out to more people. As always, you can find me on Instagram at Alexander Diesel. And of course, if you listened to an episode you really liked, if you share it on Instagram and at me, then I will make sure to reshare that post or story as well. And the last thing for the day, of course, you can find me on my website, www.throughtheveil.co. And there you can find all of my different coaching offerings, as well as my new visualization program, Vivid Visualizations, which helps you up your visualization and manifestation game. Much love to you all, and I will talk to you soon.